I have to think before I say that. Bad Anthony. <laughs> Bad Anthony. Um, recommended this. It's called oh, Backwoods Fire. Yeah, it's from Founders. Am I super loud? No, you're good. Okay. It's from uh, Founders, which I think is out of uh, Michigan, but it's a it's a um, what are they called? Scotch ale. So it's like supposed to be barrel aged like caramely beer more than yeah uh, is it good normal beers i have no idea i'm about to try it yeah the bottle looks cool oh that is pretty good it's like oh that's really good oh that's really good is it oh that's so good i was dude i don't like beer very often but this shit is holy crap it tastes like like caramel and bourbon and beer all in one but like Sounds a good, good way somehow dude that's fire they sell that it by you fire. yeah it's uh i had to go to like a, a super store to get it but that's fucking crazy good i did not expect that to be good i was like honestly i was really really nervous about it because it's 11 percent alcohol Ooh. and it's uh he said it was more like a stout, and I absolutely despise stouts. Like, I if I drink one sip of a Guinness, I think I'm gonna throw up. Yeah, like, it's rough for me, but that's really good. It's like, yeah, it's like bourbon. It's like you're sipping like drinkable whiskey. That sounds good. Yeah, super good. Caramely, kind of like nuts. I kind of taste like some nuts in there. Wait. Oh shit, that's really fucking good. What do they just sell them like singles or? No, it's a four pack. Um, yeah. But at eleven percent, I'm gonna slow sip this bad boy. Yeah, yeah you don't <laughs> want to chug that. Yeah. I imagine you chug one of these and you'd be feeling it already. Oh but... yeah. Dude, that spy chart today. What's that? Spy? It's crazy. Oh. It just never broke that supply that we were looking at all day, all morning. It never yeah, fucking me and broke you it. Were banging that dude. We were talking about that four four eight level. Yeah, it could never get past Being it. Major supply. There's like a huge volume shelf there yeah. now, which is gonna be really hard to get above. Yeah, shit the bed at the end of the day. That's when I took those puts. 
it kind of it broke into that there was like a little bit of the gap left from uh i don't know a while back but yeah that was that was like low-key kind of um like lucky that we got that apple play with spy not breaking out you know what i mean yeah apple like, was going and, and spy wasn't it was i mean you sniped that we were we were like on top of it yeah that flag oh, look is at- perfect Look at how high volume that sell off the last three five candles on spy is. That's so much volume outflow. Yeah, I will say Apple looks really good for tomorrow though. Yeah, I actually was looking at that too, and Apple usually can single handedly carry big old spy. Yeah, the Especially team on its the back. fifteen minute. Um, yeah, let me let me go pull that up real quick. People are getting some, what's the right word, impromptu? Impromptu. 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 Mm-hmm. Bullish versus, ooh, dude, that looks really good. Yeah, Apple looks really good. Well, the 15, like you said, looks perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does look really good. I've been playing Apple a lot. It's pretty easy. It has nice size contracts, too, like price-wise. Yeah, easy to get in. Scale in, scale out, a lot of volume on them, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. That is that's a really good chart. I'm gonna have to write that down. I think the dudes in our Discord, the people, um, absolutely love that we do the live trading on Wednesdays. Oh, dude! So I get so many people that say how like it's enjoyable and they learn stuff. Yeah, I have the same thing. Like we get a we get a rag on Anthony, which Anthony, if you're listening to this, we love you. That's why we rag on you. Or do we, we? get a rag on him? Get a fucking talk about how bad Drake is because he's terrible, dude. <laughs> I love so Drake. I said that. <laughs> yeah, they did get pretty tight. Yeah, I feel like all the lover boys were gonna come after me. All the certified lover boys. <laughs> Anthony's about to get mad. He's about to. He's about to start fire coming out of his ears. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> All right, we got a couple to talk about. So we got HYMC and the other miners. I have a few names that I'm going to shout afterwards, but what are you thinking about the, the HYMC chart? Um, HYMC. Wow, that is a crazy-looking daily. Look at that red-ass candle on the 15th. I think it's huge. Yes, yeah, so... Looking at the... Looking at the daily, I would be looking f- towards that like one dollar mark. It's like almost in line with the twenty um, that you may end up. It got stuffed under the two hundred today, um, but the thirty minute doesn't look too bad. The monthly doesn't look too bad. Um, it needs to hold. There's. It has some trend around 112, 110, 112. Um, and that's what I'd be looking for. If that breaks, you probably end up towards a buck. Um, but I, 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 I don't hate the look of it right now. Um, so just off technicals, it looks bullish to me. I would say I actually agree with the one dollar. Where I'd like be looking for a dollar probably because big cycle. When I look at this, yeah. When I look at this, I see. Um, from back in October and uh, when is that? August. Back in October and August, um, 
I see like 140 resistance, 140 to 145 resistance. Mm -hmm. And then today that's where it failed, which was the 200, which is a big volume shelf on the, uh, the profile. So I just think that it, it needs to cool off a bit more before we take another test of that 200. But I mean, you can see it's hot on this daily. This daily shows that it's it's got the volume and it's got the eyes on it. So yeah. anything can happen when you got when you got big volume. Um, there's actually a couple of miners that I like a lot more that I've I think I actually have positions in. Well, I don't think I actually have positions in. I do. You think um, you have positions? <laughs> I just don't, dude. I have. It's been so long since I've looked at my swing account that I genuinely sometimes forget it exists. Yeah. <laughs> like, like sometimes I'm just like, ah. But the first one is Gato, G A T O. Um, I like that Ooh, one a lot. I like that. It got gap. rejected. Yeah, it got rejected at the 50 MA, but the uh, 20 MA is coming up on it. It's coming up on a little demand zone here. Um. And if it can get back into that gap, it can cruise. It's got room at ten bucks almost. Yeah, over five fifty, and that thing has has yeah, a shit ton crazy. of room. The two hundreds, not the the two hundreds at like nine thirty, so you have all that room. Um, it, it's just got to get above the fifty. Yeah, that looks very good. Um, if it breaks at twenty, yeah probably have room to average down towards four bucks yeah um, there's a lot of downside once it breaks like for me if it breaks probably like 425 then i bet you it probably breaks four as well and sees like 375 yeah 350 no, maybe even. that chart looks very good um, that's that's bullish to me uh you feel that gap same gap will send it and then the other one is gpl um i like this one because it gapped up on the eighth and then it's now filled that gap and it's consolidating pretty well um and the 20 is coming up on it uh so i just think it needs a bit of volume to pop out of this consolidation uh, and then it's got not much until mid 30s yeah cheap too what's it 20 some cents yeah, twenty eight cents, real cheap. Not a lot of risk there. Those are one of those that you can just. This is, this is not toward talking about like new traders, but when something's so cheap like that, that's when you can just hammer down and keep averaging down on if you have conviction and stuff. Because um, I mean, you got to think about it as in a way of like market cap wise, like companies are like if they're twenty cents, their market cap has to be pretty small in the first place. And then if it's, you know, then it's 15 cents. They just lost a fourth of their market cap. You have to determine if that's like a real move or if that's just the market fluctuating. Yeah. Um, um, that looks, yeah, go that ahead. looks, that looks good too. All those miners look really good. Yeah. I'm hot on them. I got swings in both of those, which normally I don't swing to from the same sector, but I was feeling good about one of them at least hitting. Yeah. So I'm just sitting on them. Um, Next up, we got the people's main event, the uh, the Baba, the Chinese names, because apparently Baba has been going nuts on Wall Street bets. I haven't seen it a whole lot, but people have been like talking mad crap about how um, Baba is like the next squeeze because it's um, like so shorted. Like if you go look at the daily, look how many shorts are piled in, all that kind of stuff. Like shorts have gotten overconfident on this one. I see that all over Twitter and shit about Baba. Um, so I just want your thoughts on. Actually, I'll go first since I went second on the last one. 
Um, I still kind of think that there's some big downside. <laughs> yeah, Baba. that chart does not look good. <laughs> yeah, the chart doesn't look good. And then the other thing, too, is, is China is way closer to aligning with Russia than anyone thinks. Like, yeah. they're way closer to aligning with Russia than they are not aligning with Russia. And I'll stand by that until this whole Russia thing is over, which we're still a ways away. But if I also just draw a line on Baba, um, it still has a ton of like resistance above. It's not even close to breaking the downtrend. So yeah, we have big volume here, blah, 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 whatever. The weekly looks terrible. The weekly looks like abysmal. And then there's so much overhead. Um, I don't care if there's a bunch of shorts piled in. I just think that that looks like a massive downtrend. And I also think China is really, really walking on thin ice right now with the global markets. So I say it's, it's bullshit. Yeah, I don't. I that chart looks hideous to me. Um, so I'm calling bullshit as well. Um, yeah, that that China and Russia stuff is crazy. I saw that they were talking to, like to North Korea too or something, which is that's yeah. a whole mess. They're really saying, "Hey, shithead leaders, let's band together and fucking yeah, let's... try to take over the world." Um, yeah, so, so Daniel, we want to thank you for coming on, and we also want to ask, how has your trading been lately, man? It's been good. Um, I post all my receipts on Twitter. Uh, I think uh, I have one of my larger uh, singular days. It was just over 400000 uh, I did that off of Square. Um, so I tend to trade. Uh, some of you will probably be very familiar with um, – uh, some of the stuff I put out, if you if you follow my Twitter account. Um, so one of the strategies I talk about a lot is paid by the hour. Uh, I wrote an ebook on it. Um, and that's a direct application of, of that strategy. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, this market that we've had in 2022 has been pretty crazy with, you know, everything going on in the world. How are you feeling about it right now where we're kind of standing? Um, what's... Not to push that, but I mean, it's one of the reasons why I created that strategy in the first place. So, um, I mean, if you think about, uh, I mean, all the way through 2020, we had this great sort of bull market, really, really kind of safe. And then you start getting in around Q1 of 2021, things started to get a little toppy, things started to get a little shaky. Um, a lot of people lost a lot of money when things kind of collapsed out underneath them for a little bit there. We kind of perked up a little bit mid-year and then towards the fall, uh, we end up with this very choppy, toppy market, and then you compound that with things like inflation, uh, policy bullshit, uh, supply chain issues, just all kinds of nonsense. And that creates an environment where you get, um, where your capital risk exposure becomes really high. So uh, for me, I mean, I've been trading for you now 13 years. Um, you know, I started out as a value investor where you can, you, know, you can buy into something and you, you know it's cheap and you just kind of hung on to it and you knew that you were okay. That doesn't really apply much anymore because you've got just so many outside factors that just tank everything. And I, and in the ebook, I just wrote, like, it's, if you look at something like Facebook, for example, right? And they say you bought that on sale in March 2020 and you thought, holy shit, I got this really great deal. Well, okay, two years later, you're back down exactly where you were. Um, and you lost most of that in about 60 or 90 days time. So um, one of the reasons I created the new strategy is because it allows you to bank whether the stock is going up or the stock is going down. 
Um, and your capital risk exposure is down to about three to six days on average, depending on the stock that you're trying that you're trading. What is that strategy? Just like a quick, just a little, like couple sentences, just kind of, if you had to describe it, I know it's, it's hard to put it all into like one little word or one little blur, but what kind of is the gist of it? Um, so it's a bit of an extension of my day trading. What I wanted was a long day trade. Um, so I often trade in layers. So for um, something, so I trade a rotation. And um, so for any of the ones that I'll be in a paid by the hour swing, um, I know that swing is probably going to top out somewhere in that three to six day time frame. Over top of that, I will day trade it. Uh, on the smaller time frame. So I will enter in using either the four or the one hour chart in Square, for instance, um, that was only you know, about a five day trade. Uh, I entered in on the four hour bottom. And that's that's one of those stocks. There's like, there's three stocks that I find to be just magical on the four hour. What I tell a lot of my uh, coaching students is look, when these show up and you've got uh, an alignment between a four hour bottom on the SPY and a four hour bottom on any of these stocks, just dump your account into it. You'll be a very happy camper. Um, and that's Square, it's BX and it's Visa. Uh, those are pretty much guaranteed, uh, you know, a 15 to 20% to move every single time. <clears throat> In the case of Square, we made like a 40% move. So bless its pointed little head. So just a little bit of an alignment between markets and then alignment of the chart, um, figuring out if you got, you know, bottom on there and then just riding that out for five, you said three to six days. Yeah, typically like if you, if you were to pull up um, any stock that you're really kind of comfortable with, um, but most of them are typically about a three to six day payout um, on the one hour. Sometimes that's one day. Uh, so I'm, I, I always, have one stock that's like my ATM stock. Um, I trade it every single day. It pays me every day. Um, and that's Nordstrom. And I will also swing that on the one hour underneath it. And that's typically a one to three day time frame uh, that uh, that I'll get a payout on. Me and Tony know about that. We used to trade this shitty little uh, penny, whatever it stock. was. Mm -hmm. Jan, J-A-N, little low float, shitty trash stock. But every <laughs> day. We used to know like it was like seven dollars to like seven eighty every single day. There'd be like this little pop, and we would just sell the liquidity in yeah. just every damn day. Well, I know Tony's got a few questions for you that he wants to ask. Sure. Yeah. Um. So the first question I had for you, I know you you just mentioned how long you've been trading, but what kind of got you into trading? Um. And, you know, did you have a, did you have a mentor? Did you kind of just uh, self-teach? Were you self-taught? Um, if you want to kind of maybe explain that or elaborate mm -hmm. on that a little bit. Sure. Uh, so you have to go back to the 2008, 2009 financial collapse. Uh, and, uh, and what I seen was as the market was recovering, my financial advisor, either they were incapable, unable, or just unwilling to actually take advantage of this type of thing. So I, it dawned on me that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to work and my retirement funds are not going to be where I need them to be by the time I finish working, unless I did something different. Um, so I fired them and I took it over myself. Um, and coming at it from a value investing perspective it was more, <clears throat> 
more an extension of my career. So my corporate career, um, I was like a corporate MacGyver. I would get you know kind of flown around the world and go fix other companies or determine whether or not we want to buy a certain company. So to do that, I needed to be able to understand finances. I need to understand strategy. I need to understand macroeconomics. I need to understand operations. I need to be able to put all of that together to go, what is a company actually worth? So that directly tied into my start as a value investor, because I could look at a company, I could take it apart and go, um, you know, what's this thing worth? <clears throat> uh, what is it being sold for? And is it on sale? And that worked really, really well. Um, and then all the way through even 2020, I would I would do that same type of thing. But then as the market changed, as I was, I was saying earlier, um, I had to change that approach. And while I had already been swing trading for a number of years ahead of time, I needed to change the approach even more. And that's where I developed um, almost like a long day trade approach. Uh, and it was an extension off of the day trading that I'd already been doing. Uh, as my as my regular sort of income stream. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And you were able to, you, like you mentioned before, develop your own own strategy. Um, and uh, another question I had: we, I know this market for beginners is pretty unforgiving. Um, Teddy and myself, we each have our own uh, private private groups, and it's I'd say ninety percent beginners. Um, so we're kind of helping out beginners trying to navigate this market. Um, what would be your biggest advice for maybe somebody that's only been trading three, four months? Um, and they're obviously, you know, not used to a market like this, or this is the first market they were ever introduced into. What would be your best advice for them in terms of kind of how to navigate the current state of the market? Um, I know one of the things that uh, that I see because I, I also do coaching, mm -hmm. um, and the and the most common thing that I get when people come to me is, um, you know, they've generally they've been through several Discord rooms or they're seeing alerts across. So they belong to like fifteen different Discord rooms. They got alerts across their screen. They're you know tied yep. into FinTwit. They're tied into StockTwits. And they're and they're just kind of like a squirrel in your backyard, right? They're not. There's not really a direction for them. They're kind of going from tree to tree and just trying, hoping to find a nut in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. What I always tell them is, you don't actually need to do all that. So the very first thing I tell them to do is remove the noise and actually concentrate on the trade. Because if you're constantly going from, oh, you know, this, you know, stock ABC is getting pumped on Twitter and everybody's talking about it and I got to be in it. And, oh, my God, this sector rotation is happening. And, oh, this thing happened over here. And now we got it because of this macroeconomic event. We got to go do this. This, You're never going to get anywhere. Um, so what I actually have a lot of my coaching students do is just focus on one or two stocks. That's it. And yeah. uh, eliminate the noise of the market because it allows them to focus on the trade. Um, and I'll work them up various timeframes so that we can practice that move, practice getting those bottom entries, be able to understand, would be able to get exit and get the mechanics of trading down and just eliminate all the bullshit that's, that surrounds them. What they inevitably end up with is the most profitable weeks they've ever had because they're able to just focus. And that's what I really want. Yeah, I know not to speak not to speak for Teddy, but I know we talk about the same exact thing. Like we're pretty anti FinTwit. Um I mean there's some good things about FinTwit, there's some bad things. Um sometimes the bad seems mm -hmm. to outweigh the good, but 
I know that's one of the biggest problems. Like I'll have somebody that'll join my room and they say, yeah, I was just chasing alerts and following 50 people's call outs on Twitter and trying to jump in everything. And I didn't even know what I was buying. And I totally agree. If you can, if you can really narrow it down to like two, three things a day, that's, I mean, and like you said, focus on the setup, the stock, um, that's your best bet. Um, I, I got to double down on that cause I like have done a lot of like one-on-one voice calls with people that I'm like trying to like help out and all the time they're constantly I'm like so show me your watch list that you you know scroll through in the morning of stocks and they'll like screenshot it or do whatever and it'll be like 60 stocks long and I'm like all right you need to cut like 57 of those out like you need three of them you need to learn price action you need to learn like how to find the personality of a stock all that stuff so yeah I think I think you nailed it head on like less stocks more analyzing and seeing the actual data seeing how the things move seeing how the bottoms look how the tops look how the consolidation looks how your indicators work in conjunction with all of that is so much um more important than having a bajillion options to trade yeah i i, I put it pretty simply to them as like there's nobody who's watching like if you tell me your watch list is you know whatever 20 to 100 stocks somewhere in there i'm just going to call bullshit on you there's yeah. no way you're humanly possible to be able to truly know 20 to 100 stocks. It's just bullshit. There's there's no way you're going to do it. Yeah, I tell people too, like you could quite literally trade one thing all year and make a living off one stock, um, especially if yeah, you get good with it. I even wrote about that. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I actually, I trade Nordstrom every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, So there's some, like I'll trade, I primarily focus on like cues, Apple, um, things that are easy to get into. Um, you know, they, they, they can be great vehicles for, you know, you to learn and get comfortable with. Um, the last question I had was what are your, what do you think the best thing and the worst thing, um, about FinTwit is in your opinion? Uh There's a lot of there's a lot of bullshit out there. Uh, I think is the worst thing. Hundred uh, percent. There's there's just like if you come come to my account, maybe that's the reason I only have nineteen thousand followers. I don't know. And other accounts of like four hundred or five hundred thousand or something. Um, it's just a, it's just you know here's the here's what I did. Here's why. Uh, here's the educational element around it. Um, and that's it. Like I don't I don't retweet a lot of people um barely any uh i just sort of this matter of fact here's my receipts for what i did here's what i meant to here's what i went out of here's why i got out of it that's that's it and a lot of accounts um i mean it's up to the individual whether or not that's good or bad because obviously if they got hundreds of thousands of followers hey maybe my opinion's in the minority probably um but it's just bullshit and it's not really showing anybody anything it's almost sort of um reinforcing the dependency people have on things like alerts um, and other sort of pumps that are out there. Um, and, and to me, like eventually the, the majority of people that are actually in there and are following those accounts, they have no clue what it is they're doing. And if those accounts go away, they still have no clue what it is they're doing. Yep. Um, would rather, you know, people take the time to actually learn because at the end of the day, this is their, um, this is their financial future that they're that they're playing with, um, and what I always said, and the reason why I wrote the the Learn to Fish series is because I truly believe anyone can do this. It just put away the noise 
and focus on some key things. And virtually anyone can do this to some degree or another. So your uh, your Learn to Fish series, where can people find that through your Twitter? <clears throat> yeah, so I have a link tree on my Twitter account. Uh, leads to two places where you can get it right off of Gumroad as well as my website, Live Anywhere, Leave Anything, because uh, that's how I define freedom. Um, I was able to retire from my corporate gig at the height of the pandemic, uh, just through my trading. And, um, and the way I always defined freedom was the ability to walk away from anything. Uh, and when I, I actually did that, I left Toronto, I now live here in Florida, uh, and uh, just the ability to go anywhere and do anything you want, that, that's freedom. That starts with financial freedom. Without that first part, you don't get it. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, so I heard somewhere on Twitter that you went shark fishing. I got to ask. I did. I did. Did you catch a shark? I did. But this time, so this time of year, uh, it's the smaller sharks that are migrating in. Um, I have to wait another couple months as the waters warm up and I'll get some of the bigger ones. But we actually caught uh, about a dozen bonnethead sharks. Uh, oh my goodness. We had, we had black t- one black tip on the line. And he got like four feet with like within four feet of the boat and he bit through the line just, and he was a good size. It was like four or five feet long. Um, Holy crap. But we were able to keep, what's up? Holy crap. Four to five feet long. Um, but there are much, Holy much longer God. ones as the water warms. So right now the water in Tampa Bay is uh, somewhere around the 60 degree mark. But as that heats up, um, we'll get more, more migration. So I'm going to go back. Uh, and try and catch some larger ones, but we were able to keep. So the rules are you can only keep two sharks uh, per boat. So we end up keeping a couple of bonnet heads and I uh, put them on the barbecue. They were good. What it tastes like? It actually uh, is a very mild tasting fish. It's an excellent one to barbecue. Uh, it doesn't flake apart or anything like that. It's, I've had cool. I've had swordfish swordfish before. It's not fishy at all. Is, is that yeah, how? Yeah, that's good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Shark. <laughs> I don't think you're getting just, shark in Iowa. <laughs> hey, <shut> <laughs> we got big lakes here. I was just talking to Tony. I was like, we need to head down to you know Florida somewhere. If we do go, we're gonna go shark fishing, Tony. I'm gonna catch I'm a down great to white, go shark and then fishing. I'm gonna throw you in after it. <laughs> That'd be fun. If you catch like a massive shark, how do you get it home? Like, will they let you keep like a six foot shark? I don't know. I mean, the so the the charter boat we went out with, uh, he said that last year, um, the largest shark they pulled in uh, was an 800 pound hammerhead. Holy hell. Oh my goodness. Um, I uh, have no idea what the hell I'd even do with that. But um, get it mounted. Get it mounted. It's in the back of your office right there. This a is hammerhead. a huge hammerhead. <laughs> That'd be funny. Get- Get like a cinder block wall because it won't <laughs> hang on anything else because it's 800 pounds. That's funny. <laughs> Do you have a drink of choice, Daniel? Like a little something you go to the bar and you you know exactly what you want to drink? Um, for me, it's uh, it's either tequila or beer. I don't really go anywhere else. Um, I have a thing for European beers. Uh, I'm half Belgian, so beer is sort of a, a staple that I grew up with. Uh, but I love tequila. Uh, straight or in a margarita but uh, typically straight what's a good tequila i can get because i haven't really you know dove into the tequila waters very much um god there's a there's so many great ones um i really like i really like los aranjos 
Uh, it's one of my favorite. It's also, it's a really actually fairly inexpensive tequila, but I actually really love it. Um, it's uh, so you can find it, uh, you can find it online or at your, typically at your local liquor purviewer. Okay, okay. <laughs> cool. I'll check them out because um, I got scarred by Patron a while back. And so I've stayed away from tequilas um, since then. Had like there can be several that are somewhat like gasoline, but uh, yeah, you get some yeah. nice ones. They're nice and smooth, and uh, I really like Los Angeles, One of my favorites. Like I said, it's also it's not even inexpensive to get. I mean, there's some really great tequilas, uh, you know, in the couple hundred dollar a bottle price range. But Los Angeles, like 50, 60 bucks a bottle, and it's it's good stuff. I'll take that any day. Yeah. I had like seven too many patrons and then it was just like gasoline and i wanted to die it was like i was <laughs> you're scarred though. now i could have ran my car with that i'm not <laughs> even kidding yeah it'd be cheaper than the gas nowadays holy shit yeah <laughs> tell me about oh. it I hellcat, but uh, oh. you got a hellcat um, you typically not worried about the price of gas yeah or gas yeah. i see somewhere that that thing can go from zero to 60 in like is it the fastest? Like, no, but really fucking fast. I don't remember the specs right now. Is it? Is it fast as shit? Yes, uh, I've had pin people cringe and start to cry in the passenger seat. <laughs> Holy crap! What color is yours? Uh, mine is uh, pitch black. Ooh, my favorite. That's sweet. That's sweet, Tony. You should get a Hellcat. No, I want a. I want a Bronco. Dude, I want one. I'm gonna get one before you. Yeah, you probably will, to be honest. We're going to be fighting over who gets a Bronco first. <laughs> but, Daniel, we wanted to talk about kind of your most profitable setups. I know we've talked a bit about it, kind of those bottoms, those types of setups. But what is your, your favorite um, and your most profitable trading setups? Um, again, I, I, it's the stuff I, I do all the time. Um, I'm sort of narrowed down to um, what works and what works consistently. Uh, that whole paid by the hour or four hour approach is always my most profitable setup. Uh, particularly on the four hour, you get some really great moves. Um, <clears throat> I tend to, so number one, I don't believe in diversification. I think it's bullshit. Um, I've always have thought it was bullshit. Uh, so when I get an alignment of a move, I will go in very, very large. I also do that with my day trading. Um, I don't, uh, I don't spread my risk around, you know, five different piles. I actually think that's way more risky, uh, than controlling one or two trades. Um, because then I don't need much of a movement in order to make the dollar target that I'm after, um, and be able to, uh, to get out. So, I mean, square is a really good example. Uh, it was just over 400,000 off of that trade. Um, and that I uh, got in on the four hour, again, just following my rules for understanding where bottom is, uh, being able to scale in my position on the smaller time frame dips, um, and just built it up uh, into a 10,000 share position and just move through it from there. So are you, do you, do you primarily trade uh, commons options? Do you do both? Uh, primarily, uh, primarily commons. However, um, there's a lot of my followers who have used the learn to fish series to trade options because what the, uh, the technique that I teach in there is how to be able to uh, repeatedly and very consistently find bottom and how to be able to tell where to exit out. 
And if you really need just those two pieces of information, be able to say, well, do I need to buy calls or do I need to buy puts? What's about to happen with this stock? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always getting, I post that stuff. Like, like uh, I'm always getting those messages. Like, you know, I bought Learn to Fish. I've gone through Learn to Fish 2. I've gone to Learn to Fish 3. And, you know, I'm green for 17 days in a row. And, you know, it's the first time that I'm doing this and this and this. Um, so it works for both. Uh, for me, uh, I trade commons just because that's where I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the flexibility of commons as well. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, being able to exit out or change something in the pre-market, uh, whatever it may be. Um, and my account's large enough that, you know, I can I can do something like put a million on square and, you know, just let that ride out if I'm confident in the trade. Yeah. The other thing you don't have to worry about is, you know, time decay, which can yes. get get extremely, extremely um, bitchy. <laughs> I don't have any other word. Bitchy if you're in options and you're trying to hold for something more than, you know, an hour, more than two yeah, hours. It can be frustrating. Things can get risky. You'll see it'll move and then your thing won't move. Fate will be eating away at it. So annoying. But I definitely agree that uh, those bottom setups like you're talking about, I need that's a part of my game that I need to refine more. Because right now um, I tend to do more continuation trades where you know i follow the trend and then you know follow the trend and see a flag a bit of a pullback and i determine if it's a pullback or if it's a reversal and then if it's just a pullback then i you know add long or short depending on the trend that kind of thing but bottoms and tops like you said are something that i really need to uh maybe focus in on a bit more so maybe i'll even grab your your how to fish how to fish lessons and check those out yeah, I keep it. I keep it really simple. I think that's that's a thing that um, when I go on one of these, or I've I've been on Space Call. I think that's the thing that um, maybe uh, I don't know if, if people just don't get it, or they, they there's no way it's that simple. But I I've said many times, um, both in my courses and on those uh, podcasts or whatever, um, I actually don't look at the upper two thirds of the chart. I don't care. Um, I just trade off of the MACD and RSI, and that's it. Yeah, that's... I try to tell people to keep it as simple as humanly possible, too. There's, I mean, I primarily am a supply and demand trader, so um, there's days I'll trade only using supply and demand and maybe volume. Um, And I try, you know, people want to overcomplicate it and throw 30 indicators on their chart. And I think that's how everybody starts. Um, They really can overcomplicate it. But um, I think if you can really simplify your your charting and your trading then and focus on one to two things, then that's where you start to really turn that corner and find success. Are you looking for, um, sorry to interrupt you, but are you looking for RSI? to be really, really low, and then MACD to begin to curl to the upside? No, actually, so um, the RSI is, uh, the only thing I really care about in RSI is if it's overbought. Because uh, okay. I use that as part of my risk management. Uh, I talk about how I do that in Learn to Fish 3. Um, I use an, a real example from a trade I did in PayPal, comparing it with if I did not do uh, that same risk management technique. And your returns actually double doing it my way. Um, that's the only thing I care about is if the RSI is overbought. If it's if it's oversold, I don't really care because what I'm looking at for uh, bottom entries, I'm looking at those two MACD lines. And I want those, when I see that change in attitude, uh, you know, if, there's, if they're coming down and they're parallel or they're moving further apart, 
but then it starts to change attitude. I know I've got bottom. I can confirm that on the other multiple time frames, both before and after that. Um, and I'm safe to put start scaling in my entry. <clears throat> I use the same technique for day trading as I do for swing trading. Um, I don't pay attention to candle patterns. Uh, I don't pay attention actually to anything the upper two thirds of the chart is doing, really. That's cool. That's cool. I don't think we've ever had anyone on with that strategy, but that's that's something I'm going to start looking at a bit more. Those MACD lines and the change of attitude, like you just said, that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm not here to plug my course, but I I go through because I, to me, I've simplified it down. Um, to me where anybody can do this because I try and keep trading visual, right? If you think about all the, all the things that where trade has ever gone wrong for you guys, what are the things that are, that are the most common? It's where you get in the way of your own progress. You make a mistake, you, uh, you, you forget your own rules or you break your own rules or you start getting invested into the stock as opposed to just reading the chart and playing what's in front of you. Um, and what I try and do is I make trading visual in order to get you out of the equation. That's what I really after. So it becomes almost like an if then equation that you're going through. So if this shows up, then this is what you do. If this shows up, then this is what you do. Um, and just make it almost as mechanical as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, another question I had was, how did you build this confidence to trust yourself? Cause I've, I've noticed when you've been saying you know, you're willing to put a large allocation of your portfolio into a trade because you're confident in it. How did this confidence build? Um, well, it started when I started doing day trading. I, I talked about this in one of the blog entries, actually. Um, so when I moved from being a value investor to a swing trader, and then when I, when I retired from the corporate gig, I'm like, okay, now I can actually bring in day trading full time because I'm not stuck in meetings for four freaking hours. Um, and when I, when I started uh, sort of investigating day trading, if you, if you just go into Google, go, go how to day trade, you're going to come up with all sorts of bullshit about how to day trade. And one of the first is all the scary stats, right? Where it says, you know, only 1% of day traders are profitable or whatever else. So the first thought in my head is, okay, well, either everyone who day trades is utterly incompetent or this stat is bullshit. It's one of the two or somewhere in between. Because in my head, I'm thinking, Stocks go up all the time. So you're telling me they go up and down and nobody's able to catch that movement. Really? That's what you're telling me. Okay. So already I got a question mark in my head. And then as I dug in deeper, um, you know, on all the major investing sites and, and this type of thing, they're like, <clears throat> you know, never allocate more than X percent of your, your account over to you know, one stock and you want to be able to spread that apart. And I just took apart what it is they were saying. I said, well, all right, if I've got, uh, you know, a $10,000 account, let's say, and I divide it up into $1,000 increments and put it into 10 trades. Well, number one, my ability to pick 10 winners as a day trade that day probably slimmed to zero at any given time. Um, so two, if I have, uh, I don't know, five winners, three losses, and two that just sort of break even, well, now I got to have my winners overcome my losses and overcome all the other stuff. And I probably haven't made my target. So now I'm doubling up my risk because now I got to go back into the market, expose my capital again. Um, and ultimately I'm taking on more risk and I'm getting less return. <clears throat> so no wonder if people are actually doing that, 
So what I, what I basically is I came to the conclusion that what everybody told me, or what all the experts were saying was bullshit. That's what I came to the conclusion of. Um, so I said, all right, if I can figure out a way to be at the bottom when it happens, and I can figure out a way to exit at the top, um, then I should be able to then play one or two things at a time because the materiality of my returns will be enough that I don't have to expose my capital again that same day. I just took it apart the same way I took apart problems in my corporate career for, for 20 years. Um, and that's exactly what I did. That's how I came up with uh, the trading method. Uh, that's why I concentrate on how to find bottoms and how to find those tops and be able to develop a technique to it so it really wasn't so much a confidence thing. It was more like just a mathematical set of probabilities. It said, my chances of success are higher if I take everything and stick it in this one thing and follow my trading technique as opposed to whatever the experts said was the right way. Yeah. Having that major confidence in that one play, just waiting for the opportunity, striking with a large allocation, and then just being able to not have to expose yourself to the market again. Yeah. And that's, that's something you won't get if you're trying to focus on 10 things a day. Um, and that's, I know you touched on that too, but that's everyone's, a lot of people's biggest problem. You can't do that if you're, you know, you're spread too thin across a couple different things, or, you know, you're trying to watch 15 stocks, you're going to miss the move on all of them. So again, to speak on your point of just focusing on one, two things, I think that's, you know, really going to benefit new or beginners. Focus yeah, on that one strategy too. Like we're, if you if you break it all down, what are we doing this for? To get paid. To make money. That's yep. it. Like let's not put any grand sort of schemes to it. Like we're going to change the universe or whatever. We're there to get paid. So why make that any harder than we need to? Absolutely. Yeah. Why make it 800 trades in a month when you can do like 10 or 20, you know? Find yeah. one trade every day, one, find a couple every day if that's what it is, and bank yep. on them and get your ass out of there. That's it. Go live your life. Go shark fishing. Whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go get a hammerhead. Go shark fishing. Drink some new tequila. Hell. Yeah. I'll say, though, that thing really, that, that kind of struck with me, too, is, is uh, the market wants you to fail, and they're going to do everything they can to make you fail. So if you can expose yourself only a small amount of times, like you're saying, per day, per week. Um, that would help a lot of beginner traders. Just finding a way to keep their money, you know, under under wraps in their account, rather than, um, you know, taking ten trades a day where they might make a mistake emotionally or average down too far, average up a little bit, and then it goes back on them. All that kind of stuff. Taking one high confidence trade would really, really help some of these beginner traders. I think. Um, yeah, or even just, um, I mean, one of the things that I've, I've had guys do now in my coaching program is just take one of the uh, matched pairs of ETFs. Um, so they always yeah. have. Uh, yeah. And just trading those back and forth and basically just forgetting the rest of the market exists, just concentrate on those two instruments. Um, and they're, they're, you know, like I get guys messaging me like, hey, it's whatever, it's 10 a.m. I've made 2K. I'm off to go climb the mountains and hunt 10 or whatever they, they want to do. That's what I try and encourage people to do is, is like life happens outside of the screen. You know, there's a reason why so many traders burn out because, um, you know, they're up in the pre-market. They're glued to their screen all through the market day. Then at night, they're doing due diligence. Then on the weekend, they're packing in more due diligence and they just burn themselves right out. What I would, what I would rather do is 
make the money, concentrate on less things and have most of the noise of the market just sort of go away and go live your life because it happens outside of the screen, not, not in front of it. Um, that I've even, I've changed my strategy this year uh, where I did a lot of day trading last year. I took my, took my day trade account. Um, so in January of 2021, it was about hundred grand in my day trading account. Um, I took that to half a million by the end of the year because uh, I follow very similar. I've seen you mention as well, Tay, is uh, I follow 1% a day uh, type of strategy. Oh, I love that, man. That is the, that's the key for a lot of people. It's a, it's a great, it's a great compound rule. I've done that. Uh, I've done that for a while. Um, but I've now started moving towards this paid by the hour approach because I mean, now I'm, I'm married. You know, I want to get a boat this year. Um, I want to go spend time on the boat. I don't want to sit in front of the freaking screen. Yep. I want to, I want to go live my life. Um, and I, what I've done is with that switch in strategy, I can still make as much or more, uh, through it. Uh, I keep my day trades and my swing trades separate, but I've started to do sort of, I've changed the ratio, right? Of swing trades versus day trades. I'll now day trade opportunistically, but I'll place most of my attention on those four and one hour positions and just go I don't know, walk my dog or play with my Hellcat or riding around in my Jeep or whatever, but go do something else. Live your life. That's what I tell. I tell some people that I mentor too. like, I'll be, I trade, I have it on my rules, which I write there from nine to 11, which is central time for me, which is, you know, 10 to 12 for you guys. Um, but 10 to 12, um, then I get out of here and then I go do whatever the hell I want to do. I go, I go walk around in Iowa. There's not as much as there is in Florida. In Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I go do some shit and, um, I tell people, I'm like, I'm probably not going to be around for three or four hours. Cause I'm going to go sit and read my book in the sun. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do and I'll be back later, but I'm going to go live my life. Cause that's the beauty of this job is being able to live your life and do what you want to do when a lot of other people don't have that freedom. Daniel, are you a are you a football fan? Me? Yeah, are you a football fan? Uh, no, I actually um, I don't actually follow any sports. I lift heavy things and I put them down again. That's about it. I was gonna say, he, oh, I, he, like I was gonna see if he was a Dolphins fan, but mm-mm. no, he's a he's in Tampa Bay. He's got to be a Tom Brady Bucks fan. Oh, His that's face, right. He's probably all over Tampa Bay. That's right. That's right. That's right. I like yeah. lifting heavy things every once in a while, and then I get really tired and I don't do it for a couple <laughs> days, but a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do it once and then like finish for the week and be lazy, and then I go back the next week on Monday and then I tire myself out and be done again. But is what it is. I try my best. All right, so we just got what do we got left? Two questions. We got the fun topics. Yeah, we just got the fun shit left, and then and then we'll be good. All right, Daniel. So I've been doing this new thing. I do like kind of this like lightning round where I ask you a couple questions just to get, um, you know, some solid info about you as a person uh, for the for the listeners. So we're gonna start off with, what's your favorite food? You gotta have a favorite food. Uh, steak, rare. Ooh. Oh, that's a good choice. What cut? Uh, my favorite is ribeye. Oh, that's my favorite. I love, dude, ribeye. That's a perfect choice. That's a perfect answer right there. Um, favorite place? Uh, Rome, definitely. Ooh, what did you do in Rome? Like, what did you? What's your favorite stuff to do in Rome? Because I've never been there. Um, I've been there probably a dozen times or so. I, I used to go there for work. 
they would send me over quite a bit. Um, but I've always been a history buff and uh, just being, I, I will never get tired of seeing all of the wonderful history in Rome. No matter how many times I have walked through the Vatican Museum um, or any of that, it's, um, you, could, you could set me there every single day and I would be quite happy with that. That's cool. That's really cool. All right. I think I know the answer to this one, but what's your favorite trading ticker? Nordstrom. Nordstrom. <laughs> That's I would have put I would have put my life savings on you saying that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> favorite band. Um that's a that's a tougher one. Um probably Dream Theater. Okay. All right. That's one I haven't heard before. I haven't heard that name in a while. Um all right. Favorite car. Oh, definitely. Uh can I mention my dream car or the car I own? Dream car, anything on the world, anything in the All world. All right. So my dream car, 1971 Hemi Cuda. What is that? Well, I, I don't know what that is. Maybe oh I got to Google god. it. Oh, my God. So the, my Hellcat Challenger is like the modern day equivalent of a 1971 Hemi Cuda. In its day, it would tear oh, that's the a good looking car. balls off of anything that surrounded it in its day, just like a Hellcat does now. What color? What color would you want? All black. Oh, so if you guys, so if you're on Google anyway, uh, Google up uh, Phantasm Cuda, Cuda. So the Cuda that is in the movie Phantasm from the mid '70s, I fell in love in that car when I was nine years old. Woo! The black That's on black. Uh, it was actually a 446 pack on that one, but they rebadged it as a Hemi for the movie. Um, I just love the car. Cool. Yeah, it is a that nice is car. Cool. Wow, that is that is gorgeous, actually. Have you gotten in some some races in your in your Hellcat? Uh, no, I actually I had to sell a large part of my car collection. I moved from Toronto to Tampa because uh, I couldn't just take them with me. Um, I had some cars that weren't allowed in the U.S. and just anyway, I had to get rid of them. Um, but I had a Porsche. Uh, I had two classic Defenders. I had a military Humvee. Um, I had a Mercedes, uh, I had my motorcycle, and I had my Hellcat. The only one I kept. It's a Hellcat. Which was not going anywhere. Was my Hellcat. I'd fight to the death for a Hellcat too. I remember when they were about to release the Hellcats, and I was like, I was a little younger at that point. I just couldn't get over how fast it was and the specs that they had on there. Like when I would read the article, I was just like blown out of my mind. I was like, if I can drive one of these one day, that'd be the coolest thing ever. <laughs> And now you fucking have one. All right, Daniel, last question for you. What's your favorite story to tell? It can be trading related. It can be life related. It can be anything. I think it was when, so there was two, there, there's actually two stories. Um, one sort of preceded the other. So I used to, I used to travel a lot for work and I, I was sent over to Asia in 2019 to, to take apart this company and find out whether or not we should buy it. Um, so I was in my hotel room in Kuala Lumpur and, uh, I opened up my suitcase <clears throat> and I found a hair in it from Abby, my dog. I never felt so homesick in my life. And I knew by then I was, I was just done. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen most of the world and that's, that's fantastic. But, um, you know, when you're doing it, when you're in your twenties and your company sends you over to Rome to go, Hey, go rent a car, drive across Italy and go 
take apart this facility, you know, on the Adriatic side, that's really fun when you've done it for two decades and you're pushing, you know, anywhere from 40, 60 flights a year, it's not so fun anymore. It's just, it's just one hotel room after another. And then the next, the next sort of thing that sort of cemented it, I was in back to back to back to back meetings in March of 2020 and I lost 400 grand in about two or three hours. Um, it was just crazy. Cause I couldn't get to my accounts. I couldn't get to anything. I was just in these meetings. And when I was done, I couldn't remember one single thing that I needed to be in those meetings for. It was just bullshit. Yeah. And I realized that I needed to pick a lane. I needed to be able to decide whether or not I was going to be some corporate monkey and uh, trade at the same time, or I was going to take all bets on me and just trade full time once and for all. Um, so I decided two things. I said, okay, once I make the money back, I'll make a decision. And so within four weeks, I had made the money back um, and I promptly turned in my resignation and effectively retired. That's what I did. That's awesome. Yeah. But it was those two things. It was my, it was my dog in that moment. What kind of dog do you have? She is a Papillon. So she's, uh, she's a tiny little dog. She actually, um, it's funny, my ex-wife picked her out and, uh, this dog hated my ex-wife, just completely did not like her at all. Um, but she bonded with me immediately, so she became my dog. So I have this froofy little dog, um, but I, awesome. she's, she's adorable. So, she like a lap dog? Does she like to come and sit on your lap? Oh, yeah, she's, uh, she's definitely a snuggler. That's funny. Those are the best. I got cats, but some of them act like a lap dog. Like they'll like jump up on my lap and yeah, sit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing makes you feel more special than like an animal that's oh, been pets will always love days. you yeah i know like they'll be like hey like i don't want to be touched for a while and then it comes and jumps up on your lap and you're like oh my gosh i feel like i'm on top of the world i could make <laughs> however much money but if my cat jumps up on my lap then it's like different feeling yeah, <laughs> completely <I get> different <laughs> all right daniel well we want to thank you for uh for hopping on and doing this interview with us it was it was really awesome Thank you guys. Um, I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to come on. Um, if you shoot me uh, your email address, um, I will forward you a copy of Paid by the Hour. Just oh, uh, Hell yeah! Thank you. We uh, yeah, it was great meeting you. Yeah. I'll DM you and stuff, and I'll I'll get that, and I'm probably we'll, put it to good use. We'll uh, link everything, all your links in the description as well. So. Yeah. We'll drop that link tree. Go, go, list, go uh, read the uh, the How to Fish, Learn to Fish series, all that kind of stuff. Um, check out the Paid by the Hour. Twitter check will out be Daniel's in the description. Twitter, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, thank you, man. Thank you, everyone. And uh, like I said, really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, yeah, yeah.